0: For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit JDPower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or SleepNumber.com.
2: Hi, I'm John McEnroe. I'm Bjorn Borg. This
0: is Martina Navratilova.
2: I'm Mats Vilander. I'm Stan Winka I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. And you're listening to The Tennis Podcast.
0: Well, hello and welcome to the Tennis Podcast brought to you in association with The Telegraph and with Eurosport on a night when Kyle Edmund has reached a Grand Slam semi-final. I, I feel like I need to say that twice, Simon Briggs, because, I mean, I, I think I said it about four times to, to Leon Smith, and he st- every time I did it in commentary, he, he looked at me as though as though he, uh, I was mad. You know, it didn't, just doesn't sound realistic. It's incredible what's happened,
1: isn't it? But I've put in a request to the ATP for the the last time anybody ranked number 49 or lower got to the semi-final. Do you know the answer to that? I'm still trying to figure that one out. No, I, I really don't know. And let's say he got past uh, Chilich just for a minute. Um, then we'd be talking about Martin Verkirk. What, well, 2003 French Open as the nearest point of comparison. It would just be sort of like um, you've been hit not twice by lightning, but about 17 times.
0: Yeah. No, it, it, it is that unlikely. Now, the story is, you will know this now by the time you're listening to us, that not only is Carl Edmund through into the semi-finals of the Australian Open, he's not going to be facing yes. Rafael Nadal because, as you've just heard, Rafael Nadal is on his way into the interview room at uh, 11.30 at night. And the reason he's on his way in a little prematurely is because, He got injured during his match against Marin Cilic just now, and it was a pulsating match in parts. He went two sets to one up. It looked at that stage, really, Simon, as if Nadal probably was going to
1: get the job done, didn't it? And uh, uh, you're not so sure? No, I mean, I'm shaking my head at the bewildering nature of this evening's events, (laughs) which uh, I'm going to have to try and chronicle (laughs) in the paper. And It's it's almost like uh, you spend so much time looking for a line or a story that uh, when you've got them sort of falling out of the, uh, the sky like hailstones, you're a bit overwhelmed. It's just like everywhere you turn, something else is going bonkers. Um, I mean, Rafa Nadal, OK, he's, he's, he's had long-term injuries, but you don't often see him pull up suddenly. It looked like he's pulled an adductor, would be my guess. There was some quite intimate massage going on, uh, which the overhead cameras were, were, <laughs> were getting quite a, a lurid view of, of Rafa's groin and um he just lost all power to his legs and then by the end he was limping in a manner that was reminiscent of uh, Andy Murray towards the end of Wimbledon actually that that's very true that
0: that that's exactly what it felt like to me when I was watching him walk towards our commentary box window which is court height you know and and you see them so up close and he, he was limping like Andy Murray and that's Anybody who's seen Andy Murray limping over the last six months, and we've seen a lot of it, Sam, because we've obviously followed it very closely, that's that's pretty disconcerting, isn't it? I mean, no suggestion that he's got an injury of anything like the severity, but still, not nice to see an athlete of that ilk, you know, just
1: hobbling around. Well, still, that's three of the big four in the last three weeks have gone down in quite spectacular style. As you say, you know, Rafa may not be anything like as long-term as the other two, but you know Roger Federer tomorrow. He better watch that no black cats cross his path, uh, because there's something sort of weird and and and, and uh, somewhat sorcerous about this this sort of sequence of, of, of ill fortune for these big names. There is, there is. I mean, it's uh,
0: it's been a very, very strange. Day here at the Australian Open as Catherine Whitaker takes her seat after a long, long day on Eurosport, which started with wombats and koalas and and what looked like an alligator to me in one of the photos that I saw uh, in Catherine Whittaker's best day ever as we've coined the Tuesday of the second week of the Australian Open although she's a little bit tired now because it's been 12 hours of uh, of, of, of hard work
2: 14 actually but I've got no right to complain because I did, I did insist on getting the whole Eurosport crew in uh, about four hours early this morning so that... Um, I could be film, filmed having fun with Australian animals. Uh, in order to sort of legitimately justify it, uh, I, ha- I had to sort of pitch it as a feature idea. of so- <laughs> in, order, in order to get sort of photos and video for my personal collection, <laughs> I had to pitch it as a sort of feature idea for Eurosport. And uh, everyone was uh, loving it uh, back home until uh, Blooming Kyle Edmund went and sort of eclipsed <laughs> <laughs> Stole your thunder. <laughs> my moment of glory with um, a 30-kilogram python that was placed around my neck.
0: Do go to the Tennis Podcast Instagram page if you'd like to see a full array, uh, the full photo album of uh, photos with Catherine and animals, which uh, I've taken and posted, uh, unbeknownst to her. Uh, Before we speak to Catherine, uh, Simon Briggs has got to go and do some work and go and speak to Rafa Nadal and Marin Cilic and all those sort of things. Uh, Just just very quickly before we we, we see you off, uh, Simon. what What is the paper going to look like over the next two days? I mean, how many pieces are you writing? How many words are going to be written about this?
1: Well, it's two spreads tomorrow, so that's four pages. Um, so I've got... Uh, we're going to be hearing from Greg Wazetski in a first-person column. We're going to have uh, reports on both semifinals. I think the women's uh, tournament might get a bit of a, a reduction in, in size. I, mean, I think we've been doing a pretty good job on that side, but perhaps tomorrow equal opportunities might be suspended for a day well editorially Um, it's a pretty big deal this isn't it
2: yeah i mean look if it was if it was joe conter in the semi-finals the same same would happen that's not i mean yeah it's it's, that's not a a gender issue is it i mean it's it's a mind-blowing british bias knows is uh is uh Um, above all identity politics, I think. indeed, above all identity politics.
0: Rafael Nadal is saying in his press comments right now, tough moments, it's not the first time here that this has happened. An opportunity is gone for me. I'm a positive person and I can be positive. but But today is an opportunity lost. It's really tough to accept. And if you go back, our colleague Stu Fraser pointed out that uh, this is only the second time in 264 Grand Slam matches that Rafael Nadal has retired. The other one was here at the Australian Open against Andy Murray, who went on to beat Marin Cilic in the semi-finals and played Roger Federer in the final.
1: How about that? (laughs) There's some omens in there, but I can't quite work out which way they're pointing. It feels like sort of crossed wires, doesn't it? British bloke
0: now ends up playing against Cilic and beats him and plays Federer in the final. There you go.
2: Quickly add that line to to the paper, Simon.
1: Well, there's there's just too much to get in. I'm just kind of swamped, basically. (laughs) He's a broken man. In fact, I've got to leave before you tell me anything else. (laughs) that I've got to get in the paper because there's no space in it anymore.
0: <laughs> so, Gregory Zedsky, we're going to hear about. We're going to hear your full report. And uh, then what do you do tomorrow?
2: They need, they need to fly over some help for you, Simon.
1: Yeah. Well, they do do
2: that sometimes.
1: It has been known. I It's mean, a long way to go. A, there, there is a, a great... final
2: appearance would be required, probably, I, I suppose.
1: There is a great tradition of Fleet Street hacks from all papers taking to the air as Andy Murray is apparently <laughs> heading towards glory, landing to find that he's already gone home, uh, never leaving the airport and going back on a 24 hour flight home again. That's, that's, that's been done several times, but the, the classics were the, uh, the Songa first round in uh, uh, 2008 and the Vadasco third. So, yeah, fourth round here, yeah. Yeah. I think. So those those were two two highlights. I mean, I wasn't actually uh, covering tennis at the time, but uh, I've heard many stories of <laughs> <The, the, laughs> frustrated.
2: The, the Songer one is legendary, isn't it? Because he, he I think, it was first or second match on, so he had he he had lost before anyone had woken up in the UK and realised the Australian Open was even happening.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, so Simon, so, mean, you, you're off. Um, j- just just finally, in the years you've covered this sport, where, where does this rank as a story? I mean the fact that I mean, this was not expected. We we were waited for years for Andy Murray to do this kind of thing, and it was always expected to happen. This is not expected to happen.
1: As a head bleep, it's uh, kind of up there. Yeah, I mean, uh, just because I was, I've just been writing that the, you know the, the, the tennis seismograph just re- registered a few little tremors in Brisbane when when he looked really good against Shapovalov Chung. And Dimitrov, but I guess it wasn't until Chung knocked out Djokovic that we saw just how good that was. And then, you know, I, I, let, let me give credit to Richard Evans, young Richard Evans with the ATP, who when I turned up here, he was like, "Carl's going to be Anderson, he's playing so solid.
2: Whoa, 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 who are you giving credit to there? Who, wh- we recorded a preview tennis podcast when both of you, one of you put his chances at 64, uh, at the 40 side of the 60-40, and one of you put them at 73. Thirty seventy, 30 and I can't remember which way around it was and I was the only one championing Carl Edmund and picking him for that first round win I have to so, say so uh, I mean uh, Richard Evans fine but he's not on this podcast
0: <laughs> uh, let's, let's be fair when the three of us were sitting in a room on the eve of this tournament when Catherine said I think that's a 50-50 match I went no didn't I let's be honest and
2: promptly changed your predictions I did well I, I saw a little bit suspect but anyway
0: I'm picking you up here I'm saying you got it right <laughs> Oh, dear. <laughs> Hurts. Simon Brees is he's off. He's off. <laughs> he's off. He's had enough of this. Um, so he's going to go off and write his pieces, uh, leaving Catherine Whitaker and myself in a, an almost deserted media cafe now, which was absolutely humming with people uh, a, a, a about two hours ago. and Henri Yes, that's right. And Henri is looking studiously at, at his phone with his feet up at the moment. Um, Mats Philander was in here watching and there were various other players. I mean, it's one of those, isn't it, that when there's a big match on, everybody's kind of coordinating their dinner to be in front of a big TV screen. And that's what we saw with Nadal. I mean, where were you watching that? What what were you seeing and and feeling?
2: Well, I missed um, or missed... I wasn't able to sit down and and thoroughly watch the first set and a half because I was tied up with uh, Kyle Edmund's post-match requirements. I mean, the the two hours um, in the immediate aftermath of Kyle's win were... were, I mean, I'm still... uh, (laughs) I'm still recovering from them, really. I mean, they were amazing and I think I'll probably remember them for all of my career and that sounds silly because most of my tennis career has been enjoyed in the limelight of Andy Murray but there is something more special about this because it is such a surprise I mean we've taken Andy Murray far too much for granted for so long you know unless he reaches a final we're sort of disappointed in him or certainly that's been the case for the last I don't know six or seven years but but there is a special joy about the unexpectedness of this mm. um, and and how little pressure there is about how it's all about both for him and for us. It's all bonus, isn't it? It's all, you, you can only win from this point on. No one's expecting, uh, more so if it was Nadal, but no one's still expecting him to beat US Open champion Marin Cilic um, in a couple of days' time. So there is a really special joy in it and it's, it's kind of, Easier and more exciting to react to something unexpected to get people's thoughts, you know, to to speak to Tim Hammond after the match, to speak to to Pat Cash and Leon Smith, and you know, it's not just trotting out the same old things about how great Andy Murray is, which are all true, but it's you know really getting emotional reaction um, from people in the moment. And um, yeah, it's been I'm sure the same for you, David, but. Such a whirlwind, and uh, so much so that I can't actually remember what question you asked me.
0: <laughs> that's all right. Um, what I do want to ask no, you now. No, it was
2: that it was that I, I. The It was the whirlwind that distracted me from the early stages of, of Nadal and Chilich, which is a shame because that's when it really was a contest. Um, and uh, the, when he when he got that injury time out on his on his hip or certainly hip area um in the third third set fourth set is when he when
0: he really pulled it because uh, in in the third set i mean he he won that tie break i mean if you didn't see this match i mean the the celebration that nadal gave at the end of the third set when he just stood stock still in the middle of the course stared at his team pumped his fists stared at them again did it again i mean it was one of the most emotional celebrations i've ever seen from nadal and yet three four games later he pulled whatever muscle he's pulled in that hip flexor that's what I'm guessing at least that that it is and he suddenly looked a forlorn figure limping grimacing wincing and just looking really down and it is Simon and I were talking that it's the same look on the face that we've seen last night from Novak Djokovic multiple times from Andy Murray it's not nice
2: no, and the only positive I can take, and this is going to sound weird, so, so let me explain, is that he retired. Because when he took that injury time out, um, and it was clearly bad, it was instantly clearly bad, um, and then he went Love 40 down, somehow still held, held serve, but the writing was absolutely on the wall. I I said to my group of colleagues that I was sitting with, you know, Rafa doesn't retire so what we're going to be subjected to here is a really sad harrowing fifth set of him trudging on valiantly um, in in spite of the pain he's experiencing and I, I didn't want to watch that I really didn't want to watch that and I didn't want to see that overshadow the moment for Chilich either because he was great tonight. He
0: played incredibly he... well. That was a return. You, you spoke about your Goran uh, interview yesterday and we heard your amazing impersonation of <laughs> Goran. Uh, uh, and he was talking about the US Open, wasn't he? And that was a return to that sort of approach.
2: Yeah, it was. It, it similarities to, um, to Kyle Edmund about the way he strode onto the court. You know, that was... I remember... Uh, I was... I know it's going to sound um, uh, smart in hindsight, and I'm not necessarily thinking that in the moment I was going, "Oh yeah, Carl's going to win this." But it really caught my eye the way he walked onto court today. They do those this, this tournament; they, they do really great behind-the-scenes shots, you know, of the, the players warming up before a match and walking down that that uh, champions walkway. And there's something about the way Carl um, swaggered onto court that really made me sit up and take notice. and And uh, there was something of that in Cilic tonight. You know, he wasn't nice guy, nice guy Marin Cilic. Um,
0: And I thought when he went two sets to one down that we may well get a bit of Marin Cilic feeling sorry for himself. And we really didn't. He just came, even regardless, forget the injury, he came out for the fight.
2: Well, exactly. And before the injury happened, I know it was two sets to one down, but it was still a contest. He was keeping it a contest. His head did not drop and... If the injury hadn't happened, he still had a, a decent chance of winning that match. So I really, as much as the the Rafa injury is a huge part of, of, of what's happened tonight, it almost also isn't for Marin Cilic, you know. And you sort of saw that in his victory celebration, didn't you? It was a huge celebration, um, given it was by virtue of retirement. And I... I sort of I sort of liked that because firstly because obviously you know we give him the benefit of the doubt because we know he's a lovely lovely man um, and secondly because it, he did play Billam well tonight and he did earn it.
0: You he know, certainly it, could in, have in won many, many ways. The way it was going, he could have won. What what I am still surprised about is is the drop in intensity of Nadal midway through the second set when he was a set and a break up, three two up and he didn't win another game in that set and he. He, I, I I felt like he, he suddenly had a sugar low or something because he just looked like he'd lost all of his spark.
2: We have seen it though this week. I know I, I've been more impressed this tournament by the attitude and hunger of Nadal than I have been by his ab- actual level of play and I, I thought his attitude and hunger might carry him to the title really. I was so sort of bowled over but I just thought he might you know scare everyone into um, into submission really he looks so hungry for the title here but you know there, there were dips against Diego Schwartzman there were moments when he looked really nervous and that ner- those nerves could come from a you know a question marks over his body or his form and you know we've heard the stat trotted out lots of times that he's never won a slam having not played a warm up tournament on, on that surface so this you know he's very frank about the fact that he needs matches so so even though he looked in the form he did and he looked as ravenous as he did, it was still a huge ask of Rafael Nadal to, to win this title. And he's done well to reach the quarterfinal state. It is devastating to see him limp out in the way he did. But, um, you know, in the context of a few weeks ago, we didn't even know if he'd be playing here. The I know it's trite, but there are positives.
0: Yeah, I guess you you, you look at it like that if you can from his perspective.
1: Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.
0: Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. You, you and Mats Verlander had a chance to interview Kyle Edmund straight afterwards, didn't you, in, in the Eurosport studio? Well, it was probably a couple of hours afterwards. Unusual setting for him. I mean, I think he'd been in the studio with you a few days ago, hadn't he? Uh, and, you know, he's got to get used to all this sort of thing. How how was that? How was his chat with you and, you and Mats?
2: Oh, it was lovely. Well, well, Mats is from the same town as Kyle's new coach, Um freddie Rosengran. um i ha- it's a very well the way matt says it is sort of not a word that it's possible to pronounce <laughs> in in english it's this little town in sweden and they've known one another since they were seven and matt <laughs> matt has been following um carl's progress so closely this this week because of that connection and i think he's a big fan of his tennis as well and um Yeah, the joke, uh, for anyone that hasn't seen that interview, apparently it's the same uh, town that Jonas Bjorkman is from and that Stefan Edberg is from, and apparently the joke is that people from that town can't hit a forehand. (laughs) Because, I mean, Jonas Bjorkman, he would be the first to admit that his forehand was not his best shot. Same goes for Stefan Edberg, same goes for Mats Valander. And I've not seen the ready Freddie Rose, Rosengrand forehand, but apparently it's, it's not setting the world on fire. Um, so there's actually, apparently in Sweden, there is a term um, called the... Mm, uh, Town, I can't remember his name. It begins with M. Forehand, which means the <laughs> the rubbish forehand. And there's this huge irony that he's ended up coaching, you know, the man with the biggest forehand in town right now. And,
0: forehand.
2: Yeah. It's it's um yeah. So that really brought a bit of likeness out of Kyle, who is the most likable chap. He can be quite serious and earnest, um, and and that you know that can not necessarily always be the most media friendly thing but you're always rooting for him his sort of agreeableness always comes across so to to have Mats there to bring a bit of lightness um, um, out of it. I mean how can you not respond to the presence of of Mats Verlander? you know being interviewed by Mats Verlander and him recalling his first uh, semi-final here in 1983 he beat John McEnroe the then world number two um, and then went on to beat Ivan Lendl the world number one in the final and when his second grand slam so and uh, you know i sort of said at the end matt's you got any words of wisdom for carl and he really you know really paid attention <laughs> carl i mean why wouldn't you but i don't know there was a, and matt's and i had a little chat afterwards and matt said yeah he totally believes that he can win another one and you know he, there's no cockiness about him at all but there is a there is a swagger now there is a swagger of a guy that
0: I the love Max the himself. actually. I love the way Carl Edmund in all of his post-match interviews so far has. It hasn't been. Oh, this is just an amazing moment to have no. got here. It has all been about. Well, I don't. I don't want to stop now. Absolutely. I mean, he's really matter of fact about that.
2: Yeah, yeah, and I, I think a lot of that comes from feeling like this has been a long time coming. He is so long been talked about as the hardest worker or one of the hardest workers in this sport. And for him, it's just sort of the natural accumulation of all of that. Not that he felt entitled to reach this, this stage or anything. I, not that he's not a bit surprised, but, you know, it, it, it's the old adage of hard work pays off and, and yeah, he's he's been rewarded. So why would he not be rewarded Again, you know, it's logic, isn't it? And um, I'm not sure that it being Marin Cilic rather than Rafael Nadal favours him hugely, actually. I think, think, you know, it's all about matchups, isn't it? It's all about matchups. Dimitrov was a better matchup for him than than Kyrgios and so it proved. um,
0: Cilic has won their one previous match, but it was a tie break in the second set. Um, And he'd taken a set off Nadal. So, yeah, I I take your point there. Cilic has got the big serve etc and he's clearly playing extremely well but you know this is a funny old tournament this one anything could happen from here tell you what I'll tell you what is happening remember when I said that Caroline Wozniacki might win quite comfortably against Carlos Suarez Navarro it's currently five love Wozniacki at the moment um so uh about time I got something right
2: I mean it could be couldn't it a I mean it is feasible that it could be a Chung Edmund final, which would be a repeat of the first round in Brisbane. No, oh. second round in Brisbane. Wasn't yeah. it? He beat uh, Shapovalov in the first round.
0: Well, tomorrow, though, we've got uh, Thomas Burdick against uh, Roger Federer. I mean, there's, I've got a slight feeling <laughs> <laughs> that Thomas Burdick might be about to.
2: I mean, he hasn't been tested, Federer. And uh, look, I don't quite have the feeling you have, but I don't think it's. I'm not. I'm not going to make fun of that feeling. I don't think it's the most preposterous thing. Um, here's a little thought experiment for you that um, the Eurosport team were doing earlier. Had Chung against Sangren been a first-round match, what court would it have been scheduled on?
0: Crikey. I mean, you probably the, the, they go up to court 22, <laughs> and you certainly wouldn't have been surprised if that was on number 22, absolutely. would you? Absolutely.
2: Uh, absolutely, and tomorrow Eurosport, have got John McEnroe commentating on it.
0: Wow, as a, uh,
2: as a grand slam quarter final. I mean, it,
0: it's... a word today on Elise Mertens beating Alina Svitolina, whose struggles continue at the sharp end of slams. I mean, she did reveal afterwards that she got a, a an injury of her own, and uh, she wasn't trying to take credit away from her opponent, who has been brilliant How six four crazy. six love. But at the same time. It is a trend with Svitolina, just as it is with Sverov.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, she's got slightly further in in, in slams than than Sverov but it's the same kind of roadblock. It's the same. Oh, we're talking about her. Talking about oh, okay. She, you know, um, I, with a couple of bookies, she was favourite going into uh, this tournament in, in a in a tournament of no clear favourite. She was with with a couple of bookmakers just just edged uh, the other what. 25-30 players that were being talked about as potential champions before the tournament on the women's side so yeah I mean like Zverev said after his match I've got some thinking to do about what's going wrong uh, what's going wrong at Grand Slam level but I love Elise Mertens I really do uh, she is silky smooth I think um, a few people described her as earlier today She there's something really aesthetically pleasing about her shot making and the way she plays tennis, it's pretty um, unspectacular um, and, um, you know... It all just it's, works, doesn't so, it? And, um, and headlines, but, it, yeah, it all just works and... It's very sort of coachable tennis. If you were a tennis coach, you'd probably say to your kids, try try and copy Elise Mertens.
0: Yeah, very good point. Uh, Play starts tomorrow on the Rod Laver Arena with Angelique Kerber against Madison Keys. That that feels like slightly too big a match to be playing that at 11 o'clock in the morning, local time, to me.
2: It does, and I know the argument. I know why they put the women's matches both during the day session on the Wednesday. It's because it's in the interest of fairness because the women have to play their semi-finals on, on the Thursday so to put one at night is but I still don't think that's the right solution to that problem necessarily I think it's going to feel a bit weird watching some legends doubles tomorrow night when uh, those two absolutely mouth-watering matches have have been played I mean I'm biased because we're, we're covering for, for European tournaments which means that those two Brilliant, likely brilliant matches will take place overnight with only tennis diehard nerds watching. Um, and, yeah, t- Tennis sanguine against He Yun Chung, splitting, splitting the two women's quarterfinals. So, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, quarterfinals.
0: Uh, tennis Sangrin, just as a, as a footnote, you did allude to it uh, briefly yesterday in the show, and, and he has... He has been the subject of quite a Twitter storm, hasn't he? Because of things that he's posted over the last couple of years. He appears to have deleted
2: deleted
0: two years' worth of tweets.
2: Yeah, it's Max of... A bloke that that didn't have a an agent and has just come into a run of success uh, has been tapped up by an agent. The agent's gone, oh, tennis. Uh, if you want to get some sponsorship deals, I would potentially um, delete everything. But in the age of the screen grab, it doesn't really work. And no, it it, Especially for a guy that was questioned about um, the views he had expressed on. on by Twitter, Simon Briggs. By Simon Briggs in his last press conference, and he had. Uh, in his uh, in his defence, not in defence of his views, but in defence of his sort of attitude towards their views, he'd said, you know, that he he had defended his his right to to free speech and opinions and 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 all of that. Which I, I think, given it's once something's out there on social media, once the cat's out of the bag, it's not going back in. I think the only respectable thing to do once in that situation is to. To stick up for it and to stand by it, and and he did
0: he did say just to, to clarify as well that whilst he follows certain people on Twitter, that he doesn't share their views, uh, right. and he just he said that's not how information works. Because I watch the news at night, uh, it doesn't mean that I agree with all the stories. Right.
2: But he ha- he had as a disclaimer on his um, bio, he said likes and retweets are not endorsements, which I is that not some sort of oxymoron? I mean if you're liking something on Twitter, you are saying I like this.
0: Not necessarily you? because some people use them as a bookmark in order to remember what they were. They do oh, actually do but that.
2: Bookmarking does exist. I mean Not
0: on Twitter it doesn't.
2: Ah, there are other ways to bookmark Donald Trump tweets. No, seriously. <laughs> well, I'm
0: not, su- I'm not sure I agree with you on that. Um, but but uh, that having yeah. been said, th- yeah. individual but then things. then
2: why delete them then? No, if you, look, if individual... that disclaimer and standing by it. Oh,
0: I agree then with then you. Look, individual them. things that he has tweeted, given the screen grabs grabs that we've seen, are well. They're tough to look at. Put it that way. Simona Halep against uh, Karolina Pliskova will follow that. Another cracking match. I mean, those are two awesome matches in the women's draw. They're
2: they're both Grand Slam finals, aren't they?
0: On paper, they are. really are. You you certainly wouldn't be (laughs) disappointed with those as Grand Slam finals. Then it's Thomas Burdick against Roger Federer in the evening session. That is all to look forward to. Go and have a look at Catherine's uh, shots of animals on the Instagram page. You will not be disappointed. They will brighten your day.
2: Yeah, before sort of, um, before Kyle Edmund did his thing and before the Rafa Chilich drama happened, I thought this was going to be a 30 minutes of of animal chat. I really thought.
0: (laughs) Yeah, we've had other stuff.
2: That is the headline of today. We're just going to be talking through all the animals I met and how great they were.
0: Very quickly, uh, Angelique Kerber, Madison Keys, who's winning? Oh, that's a horrible question. Halep, please I'm going Halep.
2: I'm going Halep as well. Sort of a, 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 a heart, that's heart, not head, really. Um, oh, I, I think Halep. Uh, I think Keys Kerber is a f- total fifty-fifty. I know that's a cop-out. but I'm going Kerber. He, oh, I think I am too. But goodness me, that's. I'm going Chung. Uh, I'm going Chung as well.
0: And then I'm but going Roger I'm, Federer.
2: But but let's uh, let's remember that on the. <laughs> um, the Tennis Australia uh, graphic—they do this—a uh, win predictor graphic, which is—I uh, I admire their sort of experimentalism with these graphics and their, their 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 attempts to try and sort of broaden our statistical horizons. But the win predictor statistic and graphic is the most nonsensical thing ever to happen to tennis, <laughs> where they they pop the, this this. Uh, uh, this image on a tennis court which tells you what percentage chance a particular player has of winning based on um, completely unfathomable hashtag data <laughs> um, not having and it. when team and sangren went into a fifth set so, so they, they stick it up at the start of the match and then if it goes into a fifth set or into a fourth set it then readjusts the data based on other nonsensical data and tells you what chance they have of winning, winning now that it's in a fifth set yeah. And as it went into the fifth set of Sanguine team yesterday, this graphic popped up and said uh, Tennis Sanguine had a 0% chance of winning.
0: <laughs> Somebody
2: in the graphics room saw that graphic and still hit, yep, go for it.
0: I think it's I think it's time. I, think it's time. So.
2: I mean, is it the same person that designed the app? I don't know. I'm just. <laughs> Catherine,
0: scathing here on the Tennis Podcast. Brought to you in association with The Telegraph and Eurosport.
2: Can I mitigate my criticism of of Tennis Australia there with the fact that I love them, they brought me animals.
0: (laughs) They did do that, and she's happy, generally speaking. Uh, We are also brought to you, uh, sponsored by La Manga Club, the magnificent holiday destination that has improved Catherine's forehand immeasurably, and which, in fact, I saw a picture of Kyle Edmund up on the wall because the uh, British tennis... Uh, squad davis cup squad have trained and they bring out all their juniors and Carl edmund has trained at lamanga club so uh i can understand why they, they really know what they're doing um we are oh hold on Cilic, she's coming to the interview room i've got to go and interview him uh, we're also brought to you uh supported by our executive producers triple s melanie bows and tennisballs.com our special Mascot this year is Charlie the ferret, who is still Catherine's favourite ferret, regardless of all these wombats and all this nonsense. Uh, she loves a, uh, loves Charlie the ferret, and uh, we will be back tomorrow with another show after the next raft of quarterfinals here at the Australian Open, and we'll speak to you then.
1: Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too.